like that. You want to Hello, try everybody, that. and welcome it's to like this what day is it? Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope y'all are ready for an exhilarating edition of the show because it's going to be a very up and down version of the Logan Blackman Show for this Wednesday edition because, man, we had some we had some good things happen this weekend, and then we had some pretty, you know, uh, terrible things happen this weekend as well. So we'll go over all of that and more today. But first, let's go over to the housekeeping items and uh, make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show, will pop up. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page. Check out our latest blog post on all different forms of social media. We had quarterback rankings week one come out on Saturday. We were trying to make a video for that, but... A lot of stuff took place last week. The NFL videos took a lot longer than expected. So didn't end up filling out a video for week one. But we have the blog post still up. And you can check that out on the LoganBlackmanShow.com. And you can check out week two's quarterback rankings coming up, I think, Thursday is what we're aiming for. So tomorrow, for those of you listening to the podcast right now, should be coming out Thursday. The blog post itself will be coming out on Friday. We'll do the whole week two quarterback rankings on Friday. And for the podcast edition anyways. But you can check out all the blog posts on the LoganBlamanShow.com under the blog section. And then YouTube channel, again, make sure you subscribe to that. Check out our last video as well, which was discussing the NFC and AFC season previews. I'd greatly appreciate it if you don't check those out. Maybe some have changed, have aged a little worse. I know we've only gone through week one of the NFL season, but man, some things might have drastically changed on how people view certain teams after this first week of the season. And of course, if you're listening right now, so might as well make sure you are subscribed and and or following the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. Again, search Logan Blackman Show will pop up and leave a rating out of five stars on both of them. Leave a comment down below on why you feel the way you do. It could be about an individual episode. It could be about the show in general. I don't care. Just as long as you leave a rating and a review, I would greatly appreciate it. It doesn't need to be a five star. Obviously, I would appreciate a five star more than anything, but if you feel like the show's not up to speed, up to snuff, whatever you want to call it, then rate it how you see fit. And I've been kind of conflicted for how I want to start this show off today. I'm very conflicted because we've got a positive and a negative. I guess the positive's got some negatives involved in it, but we got positive things and negative things to talk about today, both involving two teams that I support. Maybe three. Maybe three teams I support. We might talk about the other team in there as well. We'll see if we get to that part. I'm not going to say the team because we might not talk about them because if I say the team, you're going to be like, oh, Logan, you didn't talk about this team. Because I've done that before. I've done that before where I've said, hey, we're going to talk about this a little bit later and then absolutely forget to talk about it in the later section of the show. It's like, well, Logan, you didn't talk. I remember one time we were going to talk about Kyler Murray. This was a few This was a few months ago. We were going to talk about Kyler Murray, something about Kyler Murray. I don't remember exactly what it was. It wasn't the contract situation because we did that last year. This, was not, this wasn't that long ago. We were going to say something about him and I just completely forgot and I listened back to it. I was like, oh, I never once mentioned anything about Kyler Murray, but I'm so I'm not going to say the team. So we're going to try and go through three teams mainly, but we'll go over all the, you know, the games that happened this weekend, both the NFL and college football. So we'll go over all that stuff, but uh, I'll, I'll flip a coin. How about that? I don't have a, a physical coin here with me, but we'll go to Google. We'll go to Google. We'll tell them to flip a coin. Best two out of three, right? Best two out of three. Obviously, heads is positive. Tails is negative. So we're going to tell Google, flip a coin. Best two out of three again. It's flipping. It's flipping. It's tails. So there's a, a point to the negative side of things today. Flip again. It is t- 
tails again. So we are starting negative. We are starting negative today. And that's kind of how I was thinking this was going to start off. Anyways, it's the most recent thing that happened. Like, obviously, the good thing happened on Saturday. Well, again, we'll get to that later because of the, you know, the, the fate has decided what we were going to start off the show with today. But last night for me, so it's Tuesday, September 12th. The show's obviously coming out to Wednesday, September 13th. Monday, September 11th, 2023, the Buffalo Bills took on the New York Jets in New Jersey Season opener, all the hype in the world surrounding the New York Jets. The Bills hype has kind of died off because remember last year, again, we would go through like all the different NFL like media accounts, whether it was ESPN, Fox Sports, NFL Network, whatever it was. Everybody was picking the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl. I have seen more and more people now, pre-Monday, pre-Monday, this isn't just like a reactionary thing to Monday. More people have stacked on on top of that now, but I saw a few people say the Bills won't even make the playoffs this year. Like, the level of, like, up and downness from the media in regards to what the Bills are going to be the past two years, or past year, past year, it's been a year since everybody on the NFL Network panel predicted the Bills go to the Super Bowl. A year. And I saw Chris Sims predict the Bills won't even make the playoffs this year. I saw some other show on Fox Sports say the Bills would finish fourth in the division. Like, I was like, this is crazy. I understand the Bills did not live up to expectations in a sense last year because they obviously went 13-3, and Lost in the second round of the playoffs to the Bengals. Didn't look great in that first game against the Miami Dolphins with Skylar Thompson at quarterback. Got absolutely blasted by the Bengals. So everybody's tone around this team has completely changed, especially when you look at the fact the Bengals and Chiefs have met each other in the AFC Championship game in the past two years. With the winner of that game going on to the Super Bowl. Well, obviously. Thanks, Logan, for that one. That was very that was very insightful stuff there. But it was kind of crazy. So I was, like, getting ready and amped up for the Bills to go in there and shut up literally everybody at these different media outlets because we saw the Kansas City Chiefs lose on opening night, which we talked with on Brady on Friday, or Saturday show, I guess I should say. And we saw the Bengals lose on Sunday. So two of the top three teams that everybody, like, for the past few years, that have known the AFC, the top three teams in the AFC the past two years, all two of them lost week one. Chiefs obviously lost to the Lions. Obviously didn't have Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones, but the Lions still won the game. Bengals got freaking embarrassed by the Cleveland Browns, which is not, I, I would like to say this, I wasn't surprised at all that the Bengals lost that game. I'm surprised of how they lost it, but the way that, that how the, the fact that they lost does not surprise me. It doesn't. The Bengals historically under Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor, all these guys have started off slow. Remember Joe Burrow with this whole new offensive line got sacked like seven times or eight times week one last year against the Steelers, a Steelers team that had Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. So this is not something new. And Joe Burrow didn't play the entire preseason because he had a calf strain before preseason even started. So he's going to come in rusty. So it was obvious that it was not going to be the most fluid game for the Cincinnati Bengals, but I didn't think it looked like that. I didn't think it looked like that at all. And then you got this game, Bills-Jets. You have an opportunity to silence. Everybody's hyping up the New York Jets going into the season. They signed Aaron Rodgers, or traded for Aaron Rodgers this offseason. Garrett Wilson's coming off the Optic Rookie of the Year award. You got Brees Hall coming back. You got Dalvin Cook this offseason. You got one of the best defenses in the NFL. You got Quinn Williams, Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed. Like an elite, elite defense. Everybody and their mom is hyped up about this game. It's on 9-11, no less. We just watched the Giants get absolutely destroyed, and that's putting it lightly, against the Dallas Cowboys the night before, 40 to nothing. So the Jets were going to come in, and it was going to be, oh, we're going to right the ship in New Jersey. But again, I was quietly optimistic, or cautiously optimistic, I should say, about this game. 
Because obviously, yes, I am aware of what the Jets did this offseason. I'm understanding that this team's going to be better this year. I literally watched the Bills last year lose to Zach Wilson. I'm not, I wasn't going into this game the most confident I've ever been in my life. But I did think the Bills would still be able to get over top. And especially, especially after the Jets' first drive of the game. So Brees Hall obviously breaks off that 20-plus yard gain, first carry of the game. It's like, oh, well, Brees is healthy. Not only that, he ran for an 83-yard gain a few drives later. So he, had, he was averaging 54.5 yards a carry for his through two carries since Terrence ACL and meniscus against the Denver Broncos last year in Week 7. Two carries, 54.5 yards against the Bills. Craziness. The Bills didn't get to play Brees Hall last year, and I was thankful for that. I wanted the Bills to draft Brees Hall. I was very vocal about that on the show. And he proved why, <laughs> watching him in the game last night. But apart from Brees' first run, that first Jets drive of the game, the Bills got to Rodgers three times. Two of the times he got the ball away for incomplete passes. Two times. First time I thought he was going to get dropped for like a 20-yard sack. Or maybe it was the second. I don't remember which one. The, the third sack's the one that's the important one. The time they actually got to Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers snapped his Achilles. And it's one of those things, like Achilles tears are so gross because you can see it happen. You can see his calf like spring up. Like if you have a rubber band, you stretch it and you just let it go. That's what it like looked like. It was disgusting. And obviously you're speculating when it happens, but the way he reacted to it, it's like he stood up and then sat back down and you could see the look in his eyes like, oh, this is not great. This isn't great. This is a guy that's been relatively healthy throughout his entire career. And then the first play, the first drive of the game with his new team, a sense of beacon of hope for the New York Jets. The reason that they were going to win the division this year for a lot of people is because of that guy. And the fourth play of the game for the New York Jets, he snaps his Achilles. Leonard Floyd gets the sack, snaps his Achilles, out for the game. In comes Zach Wilson, the guy that Aaron Rodgers just brought in to replace. So all the optimism the New York Jets had going into the season has completely vanished because of the fact Zach Wilson, the guy, again, you were trying to replace, is now back in. So now we're in the exact same situation we were in last year. It's like, what the hell's happened here? This wasn't how it was supposed to go. I mean, it's the most New York Jets thing ever, isn't it? But now you're looking at this game, everybody's like, oh, it's done. Season's done, game's done. Like the Bills, remember last year when they absolutely blew out the Rams? A Rams team that had the likes of Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey? On defense, like they had a very solid defense. They just won the freaking Super Bowl. They had a fairly solid defense. I don't know how you want to compare it to the New York Jets with Quinnen Williams and Sauce Gardner. But hey, very good defense. The Bills absolutely destroyed them. The offensive line sucked. Matt Stafford got beat up to hell and back. Allen Robinson did absolutely nothing the entire game. The run game was non-existent. Bills ran away with that game opening night. Opening night, Thursday, the first game of the year, the Bills put the world on notice. So everybody who said the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl looked very smart that night. But then it turned out the Rams just weren't really that good. (laughs) It kind of flipped on its head a little bit. The Rams just weren't really that great. So now you got the Jets in this game. All the hype in the world. Rodgers gets hurt. Now we got Zach Wilson in. The game's over. Game's over. Now, I I am well aware of the risk and the, the threat the New York Jets defense places. But I'm still confident this game because the Bills got a very good defense. But the Bills also got a very good offense that, in my opinion, got better, or at least on paper, got better from last season. Like you added Dalton Kincaid in the draft, add another slot option, a tight end slot option. James Cook is running back one with Damian Harris and Latavius Murray coming in. 
You brought in Connor McGovern and Osiris Torrance. It's obviously an upgrade at the guards, which I don't know how much of an upgrade that was, but it's still, you know, upgrade. When you're at dirt, it's hard to go down from there. But the Bills might have well just brought a shovel with that one. And then Josh Allen, who's never, apparently never been more focused on football in his life. This is the most focused he's ever been as we see him in a commercial every freaking 30 seconds. Every NFL game, every college game, you see you have a rising commercial with Josh Allen's face plastered on him. You got the Baker Mayfield effect again. But he was doing all those progressive commercials. Now I got Josh Allen and all these different Verizon commercials. In the freaking, uh, uh, is it a Pepsi commercial with Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, Dan Marino, and Emmett Smith? Is that, a, is that a Pepsi commercial? Like He's in that commercial too. He's in another one, but I can't remember which that one is. But good Lord, like Zach Wilson's in. Rodgers is done. This is the Bills' chance to bounce back and dominate this game. Dominate Zach Wilson in this game. But again, Zach Wilson's beaten the Bills before. Been the quarterback of the of the Jets team that beat the Bills in Jersey last year. And good God, and I, I don't say this lightly, that was the worst game I think I've ever seen Josh Allen play in his freaking life. In the NFL, because I, I guess we saw him play against like Iowa and Nebraska in college. He didn't really have the greatest run out there either, but he was at Wyoming versus Nebraska. Obviously, the tools are a little bit different at Wyoming than they are in the Buffalo Bills. You didn't have a Stephon Diggs on your roster. You didn't. He had a Stephon Diggs on this roster. And it, what happened last year, it pissed me off so much last season because remember when we talked about the Bills need to establish some sort of a run game because it's basically the run-and-shoot offense from the Houston Oilers back in the 80s and 90s. If you don't know what the run-and-shoot offense is, it's an offense where you literally just throw the ball. There's no semblance of a running game whatsoever. The problem with the run-and-shoot offense, and this is what happened when the Oilers played the Bills in that playoff game the great, the great until the Vikings game. It's still, uh, did the Jaguars, Chargers, they pass it? At the time, whatever, the greatest comeback in NFL history, Bills-Oilers. You want to know why the Bills were able to come back in that game? Because the Titans or sla- the Oilers, sorry, had no run game. So when the pass is complete, the clock stops. You're giving the Bills more time. And yes, they had Frank Reich in at quarterback, but they still had Andre Reid. They still had Thurman Thomas. Like they were going to come back, especially if you keep running the offense like that. And that's ultimately what happened. And last year, the Bills had no semblance of a running game outside of Josh Allen. So every time they threw the ball and he tried to force something stupid, the ball would get incomplete or be intercepted. And guess what? The opposing team is right back in the game. They never closed team, apart from those first two weeks of the season where they played the Titans and the Rams, ironically the Titans, they put no teams away the rest of the season. They should have put the Packers away, didn't. They should have put the Vikings away, lost that game. First was the first drive of the second half of the Vikings. Pick. The fact you couldn't put that game away shocks me. And then you end up losing overtime. Josh Allen fumbling on the one yard line. We'll get to a Josh Allen fumble here in a little bit, too. But there's so many times that the Dolphins with t- freaking Skylar Thompson in the quarterback put them away. Like they struggled so much with that last year, and a lot of that was due to the fact they had no running game. James Cook looked very solid last night. And it's, I'm happy that they're actually letting him be the number one guy instead of rotating him every freaking play like they did last year. My dude averaged like 5.3 or 5.7 a carry last year. He had a very good season, very minimal role last year as the number two guy behind Devin Singletary. He's now the number two guy in Houston. Like you sit there and watch this game. It's like, oh yes, they're, go- they're going to James Cook. And then J- Troy Aikman was like, oh, the Bills were not really known as a, a checkdown team. Well, yeah, they've never had a running back that was able to catch the freaking football. 
They've never had that since Josh Allen's been in the league. They've never had a consistent five on the offensive line. Every single year he's been in the league, they've changed something on the offensive line. And I know I'm saying these things right now. We're going to turn back to Josh Allen real quick. Because what the hell were all three, all four, I was just going to go over the interceptions, all four of the turnovers that he had in this game. When he threw the first one, rolled out to the left, could have easily ran for a first down. Easily ran for the first down. For whatever reason, for what I don't know what was going on, just decides to throw it right down the middle of the field to Deontay Hardy, of all people. Like, I would have kind of expected, like, accepted it if it was to Stephon Diggs, which we'll get to that one in a little bit. But I'm not really expecting Hardy to go up there and get the ball. I'm not expecting that. I'm not. The Bills don't really have that go-up-and-get-it guy at wide receiver. Maybe Gabe Davis is that guy, but he's too damn inconsistent to do that. And then we got the one to Diggs. Again, down the middle of the field. Two defenders again. Whitehead, again, gets an interception. Diggs turned into a freaking cornerback on that player, safety or whatever. Just he was playing defense. He wasn't even trying to catch the ball because it was such a bad throw. And then you look at Gabe Davis's one. The out route or whatever. Josh had checkdowns there. He had other options. Like the problem with Josh, and I've accepted it from time to time, but last time was just so egregious in a game where you should win. You should win. The Jets were not running the ball. The Jets lived in 13 personnel after Aaron Rodgers got hurt. And for those of you who don't know, one back, three tight ends. They had three tight ends in like 90% of the game when Zach Wilson came in. They did not want Zach Wilson throwing the football. They wanted to establish the run, and they did that. There is no reason the Bills should have lost this game. And it all goes down to the freaking dumbass throws of Josh Allen. I don't know what the hell he was doing. And then we're not the fumble. Like, I don't just smacked him in the freaking face with four minutes left in the game. And that led to the Garrett Wilson touchdown, which I don't know what more Trey White could have done in that play. Like Garrett Wilson literally batted to himself. It was a horrible throw. Garrett Wilson batted him back to himself and caught the ball for a touchdown. Like all these turnovers led to some point, even the one that he threw to the end zone, the, the, the one to Deontay Hardy, the first one, that led to field goal because freaking Brees Hall, the 82 or 83 yard run right after that. So there's three points there. <laughs> like it's just so infuriating to watch that game, a game that you should win. And I'm not even worried about like, oh, the tripping call or whatever the hell they want to say. Like the 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 referee in the booth or whatever, the, the, I don't know what you want to call those guys. The not the replay official, the guy, the old referee they have on the broadcast, like they need to have an asterisk because they missed a tripping call. I don't give a rat's ass about the tripping call. Because one, I don't think Quentin Morris is making the tackle anyways. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but either way, like it's stupid. I don't care about the tripping call. Josh Allen, for all the great things he's done at the quarterback, as being the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, he lost the Bills that game. Like, there's other different places you can go. Like, Spencer Brown did not play very well, as per usual. We're kind of getting used to that at this point. I hate saying that because he's you and I, grad, and I want to support him, but goddamn, dude. And Dewan Jones had a nice game for the Cleveland Browns against the Bengals. A guy that they took Dorian Williams over. A guy who I didn't even see take the field in this game last night. They refused to replace Spencer, or at least add some, like, challenger to Spencer Brown. We got Jermaine Effetti, who was a healthy scratch last night. 
along with Kyrie Elam, the guy they drafted instead of Brees Hall last year, a healthy scratch, sitting behind Dane Jackson and Christian Benford, who's a six-round draft pick in freaking Elam's draft as well. So let's play a hypothetical scenario. You draft Reese Hall, you still get Christian Benford. Like, it's even more, like, if you're going to start Benford, it would have been so nice to have Reese Hall there. James Cook was in the exact same draft as Brees Hall. You cannot tell watching them. Maybe James Cook takes off later in the season, but Brees Hall is head and shoulders above James Cook right now. Brees Hall was the runaway rookie of the year until he tore his ACL meniscus against the Broncos. Garrett Wilson can have his trophy, but he should know the only reason he won that award is because Brees got hurt, his teammate. And you got Sauce Gardner on defense as well, who had an ass night as well, but we're talking about the Bills here. He had a bad night. Diggs was great. I mean, it's Stephon Diggs. We're kind of used to Stephon Diggs being great for the Buffalo Bills. Again, he's the greatest receiver in Bills history. My dad and I have talked about that numerous times. He's the greatest receiver in Bills history, even including Andre Reid, even including, you want, like, James Lofton, Stevie Johnson, Eric Moulds, like, all these guys. Better than all of them. Josh fed him the ball. Unless he was thrown to the defense. Unless he was thrown to the defense. And there was a couple times Josh ran the ball smartly. And then there's times, like, dude, play smart. Like, I know he's not going to do it. I, Sean McDermott even pointed to his head, looking at Josh, said, play smart. He's not going to. And I don't know if he just ignores Sean McDermott or if he just, like, goes, oh, yeah, yeah, or just completely forgets about it and his brain shuts off when he's running the football. Because what the hell was his jump? or tr- I don't even know what you want to call it. Because it wasn't a hurdle where he, like, jumped and tried to, like, lean forward when he's, like, six yards short to the first down marker. Like, what, what was that play? What was that play? I, my, Jared was, I was watching the game with Jared, Andrew, and Brady last night, and Jared turns around and goes, was he, did he just get what, done watching Space Jam or something? When you know this thing in Space Jam when Michael Jordan scores the last points of the game for the Toon Squad? Well, he stretches from freaking half court and stretches his arm all the way out and just slams it in. Did he think that was going to happen? Like, man. Like, Josh Allen, I, again, for all the great things Josh Allen does, he's done a lot of great things. He's the only person in the NFL that can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. He can make throw for throw. He can do everything Patrick Mahomes can. Not to that level, obviously, but he's up there with Mahomes. Burrow is a very good quarterback. He can't make some of the throws Mahomes and Allen can make. But good Lord, when Allen does this shit, it puts the Bills in an astronomically bad situation. I don't even know what that was supposed to mean, but just a bad situation. Let's just put it like that. Four turnovers. Like Sean McDermott after the game is like, yeah, we lose the turnover battle four to zero, four to one. It's like, no, Josh Allen lost turnover battle. All those turnovers were avoidable. None of those plays were great plays by the defense. All of them were avoidable. But Josh has to hit the home run every single time. And that's the problem again with this offense. And I'm just putting this on Josh. I'm not even mentioning Ken Dorsey in this. Josh having to go for the home run every single time is sometimes infuriating. It's sweet when it works. You stand up on your feet every time you launch the ball downfield because Lord knows he could launch that sucker 100 yards. But when it doesn't work, it looks like what you saw last night on Monday night. Whenever you're listening to this, on Monday night, September 11th, that's what it looks like. Like, I've told everybody for years, Josh Allen is Brett Favre. Everybody wants to make these comparisons with Josh Allen and whoever. Josh Allen is Brett Favre. There were some awesome plays Brett Favre would make throughout his career. And then there were some stupid plays he would make as well. I'll never, the Paul Allen call in the playoffs against the Saints, where he throws the pick, he's like, you gotta just take a knee. 
and getting a 62-yard field goal or however long the field goal was. It doesn't matter. Like, Brett Favre would do some amazing things. Then you go, like, what the hell was that? Josh Allen does the same thing. Like, he did a little pitch to Latavius Murray for a massive first down in the game. He had some big-time runs. He threw some absolute darts in the game. Like, he did good things. But the four turnovers are the thing that we're going to look at the most because they lost in overtime on a punt return. He's 0-5 in overtime. 0-5. Now, I don't understand the whole running back draw on 2nd and 15. I don't understand that play call at all. But God damn, dude. I'm sorry for the profanity today, but good Lord, I, I'm just so frustrated. I talked to my dad for about an hour after the game last night. I, he called me after uh, one of Josh's turnovers. I don't remember which one it was. Again, there were four of them, so I, it's hard for me to remember which one he called me after. I got messages all night. Like, Kevin, I knew Kevin was going to message me. I, I knew it was going to happen. I'm in bed. I'm about ready to fall asleep, and all of a sudden my st- phone starts blowing up. And Kevin is sending me all these turnover marks because Josh Allen leads the league in turnovers since he got drafted in 2018 with 84. 84 turnovers. Now, again, he does a lot of very good things that sometimes seem to outlie that, like the running ability, some of the plays he can make in the passing game. But when he forces the issue, that's what you get. And he tends to force the issue quite a lot, especially recently. For whatever reason, that's what he seems to do. This is a game against Zach Wilson. This is a game where the Jets did not want to throw the football. This is a game they played 13 personnel, and you still managed to figure out a way to lose this game. The, the momentum that they had with Aaron Rodgers getting be- like pulled out of the game in four plays, that was your chance to freaking strike. Matt Milano got an interception in the game. Matt Milano had a great game. Greg Rousseau, um, Leonard Floyd had great games. Jordan Poyer, what the hell was that tackle attempt against Brees Hall in the 82-yard run? What was that? Like, Diggs had a great game. Dalton Kincaid and James Cook, once they start getting used more, will be awesome in this offense. Gabe Davis, his first game as a captain, was invisible. Had two catches. The only other time Josh, I think, threw to him was on the interception to Whitehead, the third interception to Whitehead, I guess I should say. Dude got his $250,000 incentive already. He needed three picks this season to get two fifty. dollars He got two fifty. He got three interceptions of the game. So he can message Josh Allen and say, hey, thanks for getting me my, me my bread, man. That's sweet of you. That's really cool of you. Appreciate that. O-line sucked again, but that's kind of, you know, bar the course at this point. But it's not even the old line's fault. Josh, I mean, Quinnen Williams, what did Quinn did Quinnen, I, I was talking to my dad last night. I don't know if I read this or heard this right. A oh, Quincy Williams, okay. Yeah, I think my dad, there's Quinnen Williams' brother, Quincy Williams, is on the team too. He had 10 tackles. My dad was telling me Quinnen Williams had 11, 10 tackles last night. Either way, defensive tackle, getting five tackles in this game is kind of crazy. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Oh my God. Like the play to Diggs, the touchdown to Diggs. Very Josh Allen-esque play. Great play. Great play. Stretched the play out as long as humanly possible. Barely was beyond the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage because every inch of your body has to be in front of the line of scrimmage for it not to count. Had his toe back. Maybe his toenail. I don't know. But, man. Frustrating as hell. That's, that's the way I could say that. Frustrating as hell. That's a winnable game. 
every sense of momentum they had was gone when Aaron Rodgers got hurt. That pick of Robert Sala right after that happened, that should have been your moment to strike. And you didn't do it. You blew it. That's a game you should have won. If we're being 100% honest here and transparent, they should have won that game. I'm not saying like they got it taken away from them or anything. They literally gave the game away. I don't want to say like there's no, oh, there's an asterisk by this game. No, the Jets deserve this win. I don't want to take anything away from the New York Jets. They deserve this win by a lot. Brees Hall was awesome. Garrett Wilson was Garrett Wilson, you know, off to rookie of the year. Quinny Williams was awesome. Quincy Williams was awesome. Whitehead was awesome. Like, I don't want to take anything away from him. But you cannot lose that game the way you did. And now we're talking about the Bills. Like, what the hell is this team going to be this year? Like, the mindset again, like we brought up earlier, is completely flipped from a season before. Where everybody's picking the Bills to win the Super Bowl. They beat the Rams 38-10 to or whatever the score was. They beat the Titans like 45-7 next week. And then they lose this week one to the Jets. We're talking about Super Bowl last year. We're talking about missing the playoffs this year, it seems like. And again, I've said this a hundred times talking about the season for the Bills. Their start of the season is relatively, you know, straightforward. Like, they've got some, you know, wishy-washy games in there. Like, the Raiders, Commanders, Giants, Patriots, Buccaneers. Like, those are five games that are very winnable. They play the Dolphins in there. They play the Jaguars in there. Well, those would be tough games, obviously. I don't know if they beat the Dolphins. I had to watch what they did to the Chargers. Now, the Chargers aren't great defensively. That's kind of been a common theme under their defensive-minded head coach. <laughs> so, I'm not really surprised by how many points they scored, but... Tyreek Hill, the game he had was freaking ridiculous. So that'll be tough. But then after that Bucks game, you got the Bengals in Cincinnati. You got the Jets again. You got the Eagles in Philly. You got the Chiefs in Kansas City. You got the Cowboys. You got the Chargers. Like the end of the season's rough as hell. They got to take advantage of this early portion of the season. We knew the struggles of the schedule. We knew it going in. But that first part is where they have to take advantage of this. That's what they have. They have to. They could not by any sense, be less than 2-1 and one going to that Dolphins game on October 1st. There is no way in hell they could lose those two. They, no, they can. I'm not saying, I would like to rephrase that. They can lose those games. There's no way in hell they should be losing those games. Because after watching last night, they could lose any game. They literally gave that one away. Josh Allen, four, four turnovers, gave it away. He's like, I don't want to score right here. I don't want to score right here. Now, he made a great drive to go down the field to, to set up the field goal where Tyler Bass doinked in. Like, great drive. He went eight for nine in the first quarter. Great stuff in the first quarter. Great play on the last drive. Rest of it, <laughs> I, could, I could leave that. You have to beat the Commanders. You have to beat the Raiders. There's no reason you should be losing those games. Yeah, the Commanders games at, in Washington, D.C. Who the hell cares? Who the hell cares? You should not be losing either one of those games. Raiders at home. I'm thankful the Dolphins game at home. They got the Jaguars in London. Giants are at home. After watching the Giants, if the Bills don't beat them by 100 points, I'm going to be disappointed there. I guess my opinion about that's changed a little bit as well. But they got to go into that Bengals game. Like, at worst, you go into that Bengals game with three losses, and you're 5-3. and three. That's at worst. You cannot lose the Commanders. You can't lose the Raiders. You can't lose the Giants. You can't lose the Patriots. You can't lose the Bucks. You cannot lose those games. You can lose the Dolphins and Jaguars. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost those games, to be honest. You can, you can lose those. I would, like, be content. Just look competent in those games. That's all I'm asking. I think they can beat both of them. I also think they can lose to both of them. But you have to be at least 5-3 and three going to that Bengals game because it don't get any easier after that. 
Broncos should be, I would expect the Broncos to be a little bit better by the time they get to November 13th. I would expect them to be a little bit better than that. It's at home, it's a night game, so maybe that'll be improved there. Like the Giants is a night game at home, so you've got like some night games in there. The Buccaneers is a night game at home, so you got to take advantage of those. Got to take advantage of those. The only saving grace I have is that they beat the Chiefs and Arrowhead the past two times to play there in the regular season. So that's that's my saving grace there. I'm not. I mean, I'm not really great swinging, seeing my praise for either team right now. Both teams are zero and one. Like last night, it was me again, me, Brady, Jared, and Andrew. Me, Jared, and Brady. Jared's a Vikings fan. Brady's a Chiefs fan. All of our teams were on zero and one. Andrew's team, the Packers. That was like a 50-50 chance they had. A, they were going to go into the season at one and zero, and they looked great. Bears looked awful. Looked absolutely terrible. Like I saw something that ten, Justin Fields had what three passes that traveled more than ten yards. Jordan Love had three passing touchdowns in the game. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. When we talked about Adam Shine saying he can't play. Dude can play. It don't matter if it's against the Bears and their defense isn't that great right now. It don't matter about that. And you can you you can't play. You're not throwing three touchdowns in this game on the road. Massive game. Bears have all the hype in the world behind them. And then after that game, people are like, oh shit, they did have the number one overall pick last year, didn't they? We kind of forget that because they traded back with the Panthers. But man, they were the worst team in the NFL last year, weren't they? <laughs> they got some things they need to improve on. Chase Claypool sucks ass. They uh, Roshan Johnson looks good. That'd be my saving grace for the Raiders or the Raiders, the Bears. But Jordan Love's looks pretty solid. Looks pretty solid right now. Again, three touchdowns in this game. Freaking Aaron Jones looked good. Aaron Jones looked really good. They didn't even have Christian Watson in this game. Sitting on the sideline, injured. But man, and then you got some other performances in there, like Jordan Love, 2020 NFL draft class. So we'll go over some of his teammates. There we got Justin Herbert versus Tua. Tua came out on top, leads the league in passing yards, 466 yards, 215 of those went to Tyreek Hill. And then you got the Chargers, Justin Herbert loses 36-34. And then Joe Burrow, obviously 24-3 against the Cleveland Browns. Then we'll go over some rookie quarterback debuts as well. We got just, uh, Bryce Young. Losing to the Atlanta Falcons, 24-10. The Falcons, remember, were our, AFC, our NFC South predicted champions there. So that was a big win to start the season off, getting a win against your uh, week one potential division rival there for, for a division title, I guess I should say. Bijan Robinson got a touchdown. Tyler Algier got two touchdowns in the game. It'll be nice when they actually start using Bijan more. But Tyler Algier, 1,000-yard rusher. So, I mean, he's got skin in the game, so I understand why they're not going straight to Bijan right now. But still, use Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Two top 10 picks. Use them. You're, you're very lucky to have those two. So actually use them. Desmond Ritter was just a pretty conservative game. Uh, Jaguars, Colts, Anthony Richardson looked really good. He looked really good. And we knew this going in that he was going to be, like, he's got the right mentality. That was the big thing with Anthony Richardson. Like, if you have that mentality of, I'm going to stay after, I'm going to do all of this stuff, I know I'm not the finished product yet, but I'm going to get after it every single day. And he has. And he has. And the problems that I had going into this game was the fact that he's going to be their only rushing option. Like, Deion Jackson was the second leading rusher on the team. 13 carries, which led the team. 14 yards. 1.1 yards a carry. One, their leading rusher, apart from Anthony Richardson, had 40 yards rushing in this game on 10 carries and a touchdown. 14 rushing yards on 13 carries. This O-line is atrocious. Anthony Richardson got sacked four times in this game. Went down hurt for a little bit, but he looked good. He looked good. Calvin Ridley looked really good as well. Trevor Lawrence looked really good. Travis Etienne looked really good. So like they've got they've got Jaguars are gonna be good this year. 
They're going to be good. They might be better than our predicted record, but you know, that's neither here nor there. You can check out the AFC and NFC previews for that as well. Randy Richardson, jeez, I'm proud. I'm really happy of what he did. I'm really excited to see what he can do with the rest of the year. I'm, I'm scared, but again, he's got the right mentality, so I'm not scared of him. What do you want to say? I'm not scared of him losing his confidence and completely falling off a cliff. I'm just scared for the rest of the team around him. The trash O-line, the lack of a running game without Jonathan Taylor. I'm a little nervous for that. But, you know, he looked good week one. And he got uh, C.J. Stroud against the Ravens. Looked solid. Didn't have a touchdown pass in this game, but looked solid. Threw the ball 44 freaking times. <laughs> I mean, they didn't score. <laughs> they didn't score a touchdown in this game. They got four, three field goals in this game to make nine points. Lamar Jackson threw an interception. No touchdowns in this game. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, speaking of Achilles tears, popped his Achilles in this game. I said in the preview, I just want to see him stay healthy. Got hurt week one. He said knee issues, Achilles tears, like... I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the end of J.K. Dobbins here soon. Rodgers, I don't know. I don't know if Rodgers would be hanging up right now. I don't think Rodgers would be content with how this ended. I wouldn't be surprised. But if that's the last time we see Aaron Rodgers on the field, that'd be crazy. That'd be, I guess it'll depend on how good Zach Wilson is this year. Or whoever they sign. Because I've seen lists that they're talking like Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan. They're talking to uh, Joe Flacco. Uh, who else? What was the list? I took a screenshot of this list. I don't know how real this list is, but Cam Newton, Josh Rosen, they've talked, uh, or is this, just start to reach out, I, here's a list of free agents, oh, this is just people who are available, Kaepernick, who said he's trying to get back in the NFL again, Josh Rosen, which would be hilarious if the Jets signed him, uh, Matt Ryan, so that would make my, if they if they signed Josh Rosen, that would make my 2018 mock draft right, because I had him going to the Jets third overall, uh, Chase Daniel there, Nick Foles, Kellen Mond, Bryce Perkins, remember him from Virginia, Trevor Simeon, who played for the Jets before. Danny Etling. Colt McCoy, who just got cut from the Arizona Cardinals. He could be a nice backup option. Uh, Ian Book, who just, he was just talking to the 49ers today, actually. Matt Barkley, which I don't know why Matt Barkley is here. He got put on IR. He got cut, but I don't know if he'd be able to play. And then Brett Hundley, remember him from uh, UCLA and Arizona, Green Bay Packers, all those teams. So yeah, they've got people to look at, but I've, to be honest, I just would keep it with Zach Wilson. Why not? Why not? I, and I'm not even trying to say that like meanly. Are those guys going to come in? A guy who's been in the system for three years now. He's going on his third year. Are those guys going to be upgrades on Zach Wilson? I don't know. Especially guys that haven't played in forever. Or haven't played consistently in forever. That makes me a little nervous. Like like Phillip Rivers is someone. Matt Ryan, I guess he's not. he said he's not technically retired. But Carson Wentz, I wouldn't honestly be shocked if he signed with the Jets. Cam Newton, I think Cam should just be done. I think Cam should be done. Kellen Mond, I wouldn't be terribly shocked if they signed him. Again, Trevor Simeon's got a history with the Jets, not with his coaching staff. At least I don't think so. No, he was there when Darnold was there. So it, was, it wasn't this coaching staff. But, you know, they got options there. Then what other game? Oh, Brock Purdy looked really good. Steelers absolutely got run over by the San Francisco 49ers. Chris McCaffrey looked good. Brandon Ayuk looked really good. Yeah, and Micah Parsons, arguably the best defender in the NFL, he even came out to congratulate Purdy and talk about how good of a quarterback he is. He said he's top 15 quarterback in the NFL. And you know what? At this point, see on his chest and everything, like it's hard not to say that. Like top 15, that's reasonable. That's reasonable at this point in time. I'm not going to go over like the entire rankings here, but he played good. He played really good. And there are some other like, you know, more... Got like the Rams dominating the Seahawks. Puka Nakua, 
Great game for him. We loved him out of BYU. Him and Jaron Hall had a great relationship last year. So I'm excited to see what Puka Nakua could do for the rest of the season if he keeps going with this role or whatever. We, we don't know. Tutu Atwell had 119 yards in this game as well. So I'm intrigued to see what the Rams do. They have a lot of rookies on the roster. They signed all 14 of them. So they got a lot of young players. Seahawks, a lot of expectations going into the season. Drafted Jack Smith the Jigba. Got Devin Witherspoon in the draft. Got Zach Charbonnet, who did absolutely nothing in this game behind Kenneth Walker. Like, you got pieces there, but not a great week one start. And you got Raiders beating the Broncos. Raiders beat the Broncos. Started off on the onside kick. Broncos did. They didn't recover. Or they did recover, but it got, what do you call it? Illegal touching. So they didn't, they didn't get the ball. Eagles were up 16-0 against Patriots. Patriots tried to make it a game. But Mac Jones, three touchdowns this game. 316 yards. Yeah. Eagles. I was expecting a little bit more from the Eagles. But Patriots got a very solid defense. Always will keep them in games. Cardinals, Commanders, no one watched that game. Saints, Tech, Titans, no one watched that game. Bucks beating the Vikings. With the Vikings rocking their sick retro uniforms insane at home wearing the bud grant uniforms purple people eater uniforms kirk cousins interception in the red zone two touchdowns in that game Justin jefferson 150 yards still the best receiver in the nfl pretty obviously and then we talked about you know the giants beating the cowboys or Kyle, no, no 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 cowboys beating the giants it was kind of funny watching that game so i had a couple friends over from penn and zach both of them zach and justin so zach is a cowboys fan justin is not but justin got there a lot later than zach did so Zach and I are sitting there watching the game and we see the blocked field goal. House call, missed extra point, all that, but you know, house call is all that matters. Justin gets there, 6 nothing. I take him around the tour of the house. I go outside, we look at the chickens and all that. We come back inside. All of a sudden, 16 nothing. We missed two scores. That's how fast and dominant the Cowboys were in this game. It was all defensive. All, all defensive and special teams. Like you had Stephon Gilmore as a number two corner Former Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL as a number two corner. Get that around your head. With Trayvon Diggs and Steph, you got freaking Micah Parsons, like elite defense. Offense did next to nothing. I mean, Tony Pollard had a good game, but it was raining the entire time, so they didn't really need to do a whole lot because the defense was just dominating the game. Dominating the game. But man, the one performance I was actually kind of excited to see was that 49ers Steelers one. That was easily the best game on the Sunday chart. Like, just before the games started. Like, if you were looking at games this weekend, you were just looking at what to watch on Sunday. I mean, the, the rookie battle, Bijan versus Bryce Young, was an interesting game there. Chargers-Dolphins at the 325 mark would, was a fun game on paper. I mean, number six versus number five draft picks in the 2020 draft. But that Steelers-49ers game, because a lot of people, including myself, like the Steelers this year. Like, the Steelers on defense. They've got the piece on defense. They didn't show in this game, but they got the piece on defense. Offensively. You got the likes of Najee. You got Jalen Warren as his backup. You got an improved offensive line. Kenny Pickett, expecting him to take that jump this year with like George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, who's going to be out for a few weeks. Pat Fryermuth at tight end. Like you got so many pieces there, and they just got blitzed. And Purdy looked really good. And even it was even funnier because after the game, or before the game, Patrick Peters was like, We're going to call, we're going to find Brock Purdy out. He's a lot of tells. We're going to find him out. And after the game, Purdy throws two touchdowns. And in the press conference, he's like, yeah, uh, one of those touchdowns on uh, Patrick Peterson, right? Oh, it was? Uh-huh. But, man, great game for Purdy. I'm excited to see what he does. Like, Iowa State had a very good weekend in the NFL because you had Brees Hall rushing over 100 yards in his first game back from his ACL injury. You had Brock Purdy throwing two touchdowns. It's just a shame that that couldn't translate into Saturday because, good God, what a weird game that was. Now, I would just like to point out, I would like to give myself a round of applause first. 
Give myself a round of applause. Because I got that score exactly right. 2013. 2013. We said it on the podcast. 2013. So I'll take it. I'll take it. Iowa's 2-0. and And it was weird because Iowa scored 20 points. If you look at the grand scheme of Iowa football right now. Like, remember we talked about a few months ago, the whole contract stipulation with Brian Ferentz. Remember that whole thing? Where I was like, hey, you got to score 25 points a game, otherwise you're gone. The only reason he got that is because Kirk's his dad. Only reason. Like, if Kirk, if Brian Ferentz was Brian Smith, we wouldn't see Brian anywhere near this team anymore for averaging 17 points a game. We wouldn't see him here. We just wouldn't. But because he's Kirk's kid, he's going to stick around for a little bit longer, as long as he can. And the offense, for how bad it's looked for the most part, is a massive improvement from last year. Like, for how, and it's not looked great. It's not looked great. This was not a very fun 20 points in this game. And we're being honest, the offense only scored 13. The other one was a pick six. But you look at last year's run. First two games of the year. South Dakota State, Iowa State. What were the scores of that game? Do you remember the scores of those games? 7-3, 10-7. Iowa had a combined 14 points through two weeks. 14. One touchdown in, that 14, in those 14 points. Because remember that South Dakota State game was two, a field goal and two safeties. A field goal and two safeties against an FCS school. Granted, a team that ended up winning the national championship, a very good FCS team, who is better than Utah State, the team they played week one this year. But Iowa right now is averaging, what, 22 points a game? 20 points last night or last week against Iowa State, 24 points week one against Utah State. And the beautiful thing about that is they're averaging 22 points a game. They're 2-0. and Easy-ass schedule the rest of the way, apart from, you know, Penn State in a couple weeks. And you got, like, Illinois will be tough, even though they lost to Kansas. And you've got, who else? Purdue could be tough. I know they lost to Fresno State, but they could be tough. There's one other game in there. Wisconsin. That'll be a tough game. They just lost to Washington State. But, again, relatively breezy schedule here. They play Western Michigan this weekend. Should not have any troubles there. But, like, 20 points on one end. And how unwatchable the 20 points were, how they got the 20 points. That's another thing. But... They're 10 games away from Brian Ferentz being gone at this pace. 10 games away. Because remember, 25 points a game is the average they need to have in order for him to stay. They are currently under the average right now by three points. So, yeah, I'm perfectly content with how this is going right now. Perfectly content. Last year was just completely unwatchable, those first two weeks. I could have cared absolutely freaking less what Iowa did after those two first, those first two weeks. Like, I remember what, before that Utah State game, my expectation was 31, they got 24. This game this week, I said 20, they got 20. Like, Iowa's offense is fairly predictable. Cade McNamara is a massive upgrade on Petrus. He's still not the greatest thing of all time. Like, I saw a quote today, and it, some people were like, taking it like, oh my God, did he just say that? Matt Campbell said, Curtis Rourke, the quarterback for Ohio, so Iowa State's playing this weekend, says he's the toughest quarterback they're going to play. Well, yeah. We, we could have told you that. We did tell you that. Curtis Work is better than Cade McNamara. I like Cade McNamara. I like him, obviously. He's Iowa's quarterback. I like Cade McNamara a lot. He did well at Michigan, but again, like we've talked about a hundred times on here, there's a reason they ended up going with J.J. McCarthy. Cade McNamara is extremely limited to what he can do at the quarterback position. He's what Iowa wants and needs. A guy that won't do anything stupid, won't force the ball. I mean, he did try to force the ball a couple times. He showed off his lack of arm strength in this game. Twice, one interception, which we'll talk about those in a little bit. I got some other game day scores. I was at the game this weekend. 
but he's what Iowa likes at quarterback, especially in this Brian Ferentz-esque offense. Like, this is the guy they need. McNamara's that guy. Leadership-wise, all that stuff. He's the, he's the perfect quarterback for Iowa, but he's not better than Curtis Work. I know it's insane to think of it. It's insane to wrap your head around that, isn't it? Like, a quarterback who's been at Ohio his entire career is better than a guy who has won a Big Ten championship, has been in the college football playoff as a starter. Granted, wasn't asked to do too much because he had the best running tag in college football and the best defense in college one of the best defense in college football. With Aiden Hodgson, Dayo Dajavo, Daxon Hill, all those guys. Didn't need to do a whole lot, but Curse Work can do so much more with the ball in his hands than McNamara can. That's just facts. He's way more mobile than McNamara is. He's got a stronger arm than McNamara does. Like, yeah, I, I, saw, it, I saw it as a quote tweet. That's what it was a quote tweet is how I saw it. And all the the only thing the quote tweet had was a bunch of exclamation points. Like, yeah, that's that should be common knowledge at this point. Like, I think Iowa State will struggle against Ohio. I said in the preview, I don't think Iowa State will lose this game. But Ohio's a very, very good football team. Like, for max standard, they're a very good team. Yeah, I know they lost week one to San Diego State. I understand that. They're still a good team. They brought back a lot of people from last year. And Curtis Warwick, coming back from his ACL injury, hasn't really been fully unleashed yet. But he's still the best quarterback Iowa State's played. And that's including Theo Day. That's including McNamara. Like, it's going to be a rough, it's going to be a tough game. Again, Iowa State's got an elite secondary. We know this stuff. They got an elite defensive mindset. Offensively, brutal. <laughs> like, it was kind of funny because... I was talking to Brady about this. When was it? Was it last night we were watching the game? When we were watching the Bills-Jets game? We were talking about the Iowa State game. Because obviously, again, we, we went to it. Carly, his fiance, we all went together to the game. And Brady and I are sitting there. It's like, man, Iowa got a lot of attention for having a terrible offense. And Iowa State kind of got swept under the rug. And it was kind of like, <laughs> our offense was worse than yours. No, our offense was worse than yours. Both Iowa, and that is true. Because everybody... Everybody in the state of Iowa talked about how bad Iowa's offense was last year. Iowa State's was right up there. And it's, it was bad. They fired their offensive coordinator this offseason. They fired their offensive coordinator. Like the only offensive coordinator worse than him is Brian Ferentz. To a lot of people out there. For a high, like Power 5 universities, you probably had the two worst offensive coordinators in Power 5 conferences in Brian Ferentz and freaking Todd Manning. Like awful offense last year. Awful offense. But Iowa's was just historically bad. Like, 17 points a game is ridiculous. When you've got a schedule featuring the likes of Nevada and South Dakota State, again, FCS school that won a national championship, again, I understand that. But still, seven points in that game. No touchdowns. The oddest way to get seven points I've ever seen in my freaking life. Two safeties and a field goal. I still can't wrap my head around that. It's been a year since then. Still can't wrap my head around that. Like, the Iowa State game last year, 10-7. Like, going into this game, we said there's no way it's going to finish 10-7. Both offenses, realistically, Iowa State's offense looked a lot better against you and I than I thought they would. I held my hands up on that one. We said that at the, the Monday show after that weekend. They looked a lot better than that than we thought they would. And it's not even just you and I's defense not playing very good. Iowa State actually had a rhythm on offense. Rocco Beck looked very solid at quarterback. But this game against Iowa was an odd, odd game from offensive standpoint for Iowa State. That first drive of the game. Marched right down the field. It was like, oh, they've really got something going here. They've really got a good first drive going. And it stalled out. They settled for a field goal, and they gets blocked by Luke Lachey. And then the game's just pretty much done after that for Iowa State. And from an offensive standpoint, yes, they would score more points in that game. But still, 
they had some very odd moments on offense, and none odder than that. How how long was that drive? I've got to find out how long that drive. I don't know the exact number for how long that drive was. That la- like the last little bit of the game. Where was that at? Seven minute drive. Seven minute drive down two scores. Like I've never seen a weirder offensive strategy. Like Iowa was like, yeah, keep doing that. Was Brian, I think Brian Ferentz might have been calling Nate Shieldhouse and telling him which plays to run. Like, that was one of the weirdest drives. Like, how they brought the play clock down to five every single time. And I loved that. What was even funnier about this, because remember before the season started, remember before the season started, when we talked about that college football tier list, that fan tier list or whatever? Like, who's got the best fans of college football? And Iowa's rated higher than Iowa State. I think they were rated higher than Iowa State. And there were Iowa State fans all over Twitter's like, but Iowa boos their quarterback. They don't have better fans. You, the whole stadium was booing that offense that entire game, let alone that seven-minute drive and you're down by two scores. I don't want to hear any more of that. Like, Iowa State, to their credit, uh, very loyal fan base. I give them all the credit of the world. They act a lot on emotion. Very emotional fan base, I would say. Like, every time there's a non-call or a call, it's instant, over-the-top reaction. Like, Iowa almost got a penalty for too many men in the huddle. The problem is you have to break the huddle for the penalty to count. To count, You're still making substitutions. You have to break the penalty. That whole stadium was freaking out. And I turned around. I was like, have you guys ever watched football before? Is this the first time we've watched? Like, the entire time in high school, middle school, every single loss was based off referees' decisions. Everyone. And you had to remind people that they do not give a rat's ass if Iowa State wins or loses. Because that was when Iowa State was bad. Iowa State's good now. Fairly good. Not like the last year, really this year for the most part. They beat you and I, obviously, but they didn't look good against Iowa. Iowa didn't look good either. So I don't want to make it sound like Iowa blew them out of the water. Like they were up 20 to 6. If you turn that game on, you didn't have the score on. You're like, what the hell kind of game am I watching here? I don't want to make it sound like Iowa was looking great. Because they definitely were not. They looked ass. Like the only big play, they had the 80-yard run from Jazz, which set up the field goal early on. That was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. Like, they had the pick six, but that was it. Iowa had a pick. Iowa State got a pick in the game. All over the receiver. And then that's the situation where ball don't lie. Iowa got the pick six right after that scored a touchdown. Well, obviously, that's what pick six means. But that Twitter account was like, oh, man, Iowa boos their, fan, boos their players. What kind of asshat fan base is that? I watched 67,000 people boo that field. When Iowa State had a seven-minute drive. I never want to hear that again about Iowa State's this great fan base about... I mean, okay, hold on. They are a great fan base. I don't want to take anything away from that. Great fan base that never says anything negative to the team. Man, you back them to the hilt. And I hate when people do that, too. I've said that a hundred times. If you don't like something, let them know. You wouldn't let your cousin keep doing meth if you knew about it. Hey, stop that. You don't go, I love him. I'm just going to keep supporting him. No, tell him to stop doing that. If your offense sucks... Let them all know. <laughs> like, let them know that it sucks. This isn't working. It didn't work because Iowa State ended up losing the game. And a lot of that went down to this stupid seven-minute drive down by two scores. <laughs> Taking the play out down to five seconds every play is crazy. It, it was a no-huddle offense, too, which made it even funnier. Like, I was, like, confused the entire time. My phone worked no other point in the game apart from that drive because everybody was already leaving. Like, again, ditching the stadium early, too. 
But everybody was already leaving, so my phone started getting messages again. And that fancy football group chat, there's a lot of Iowa State fans in it. And it was like, everyone, what are we doing? What are we doing? What is going on? What kind of play calling is this? Like, that fan base never has done that before. So that was kind of a revelation that was like, wait, we can criticize people? They've never done that before. <laughs> At least that's what Twitter would like you to believe. I was this brutal fan base that <laughs> always hates on the player. I've given Iowa shit numerous times for how much they boo the quarterbacks, but every fan base boos their team. I don't want to make, I don't want anybody going like, hey, we're, we're this perfect fan base. We're always behind the team no matter what. And when Iowa State was 2-10 under Gene Chizik, they were always there. They weren't sitting there singing his praises the entire time. I can tell you that. Definitely weren't singing his praises. Like, hey, Gene, stay a little bit longer. He was building a national champion there, and then he ended up going to Auburn, winning Natty because he brought all, <laughs> all the last coach's players. Got Cam Newton, though, so he <laughs> carried him to a national championship. Got fired like two years later. Oh, goodness. I love some of the – speaking on that just a little bit further about Iowa and Iowa State fans, completely different fan bases. It's kind of funny. But similar at the same time. It's very, it's a very odd relationship they've got going on here. And as someone, again, didn't go to Iowa, so I kind of like – I the line is like – I can kind of look at it more of a neutral standpoint, I guess you could say. Like, obviously, I'm an Iowa fan. I want Iowa to beat Iowa State every single time. But I kind of look at it more neutrally. Like, I'll criticize Iowa, like, fans as much as I will Iowa State fans. Like, Iowa – but I the only quarterback Iowa I don't think booed ever was Jake – was uh, not Jake or uh, C.J. Beathard. It's the only one that I could think of. Kate McNamara so far, because Kate McNamara, again, if you're going up from dirt, everything's better than that. So that's what Kate McNamara is to Spencer Petras. So everybody's going to love Kate McNamara because he's not Spencer Petras. He's like, the again, the antithesis of Spencer Petras. Not, maybe mobility is probably similar, but other than that, it's, Kate McNamara looks small out there. But I was sitting there, and there's like this, this thought process on social media, and some of my friends I've talked to, like I was this brutal fan base that <laughs> beats up everybody. I saw a thing on Twitter where a comment said they got peed on at an Iowa game. The, uh, Alex, I'll take what didn't happen for $500, please. No, that didn't happen. I mean, it's a rivalry game, so you're obviously trying to build up your team and make the other team look as bad as possible. If someone got pissed on at an Iowa game, that would be everywhere. Because not only is that indecent exposure you're on the sexual predator registry, you're also <laughs> got pissed on. Everybody would know that happened. It definitely did not happen. Like, Iowa, like, oh, I'm never going to Iowa, man. That place is scary. Yeah, the worst thing that happens to you is say, hey, get the F out of Iowa City. I wore Spencer Peters shirt. I wore my Peters, in Peters We Trust shirt to the Iowa State-Iowa game. Because the last time Iowa beat Iowa State was when Peters, Peters, Spencer Peters was the quarterback at Iowa, again, in Ames. And it's a funny shirt. It's ironic. But I got, like, 50-50 responses from Iowa fans about if it's serious or ironic. I got told, told to F myself, but literally, that's the worst you're going to get. No one's punching anybody. Like, I love this, like, thought process in people's heads, like, man, you're just going to get walloped one time. You're just going to get punched right in the face for wearing, I don't know, some other team. It doesn't matter which team it is. Iowa fans are going to be yelling at the fan. They're going to be yelling at you. That's literally it. Hey, get out of our state. Like, it's it's nothing bad. Like, it's, well, it's not great. I don't want to make it sound like, it, hey, don't do that. But it's not like gonna, they carry around hammers and are going to bash you on top of the head if you're wearing red and gold. Oh, my goodness. The game's so funny. The game's fun. Rivalry games are funny. I don't know. It's just all in good fun. I, I have no ill will towards any Iowa State fan or 
any Iowa, but you got to make fun of it at some points. Like, <laughs> I saw a fan on Twitter, an Iowa State fan, post a clip of Kirk Ferentz called the timeout. I was like, where, where's Kirk Ferentz called the timeout here? What, what does he do? Phantom timeout? Well, first off, you can say timeout to the ref. You can just say it. If he's next to him, you can just say it. And they'll call the timeout. Because the ref's not looking at the head coach. He's looking at the ball. He's not staring directly into Kirk Ferentz's soul and going, okay, where's he going to call the timeout? You can say it without signaling timeout. Again, that's the other thing, thinking of, like emotionally rather than, hey, let's use our brains here. But there's not, that's not what happened, but you can't do that. He's calling timeout on the other part of the screen. And everybody in the comments like, hey, uh, the top right corner, he's calling timeout. <laughs> so it's just like that again. But it's not anything bad. It's not, no ill will. I'm just, it's, you got to make fun of it. I make fun of Iowa fans. I make fun of Iowa State fans. It's fine. It's fine. All in good fun. I hate nobody from either side. So it's, it's fine. But here, I'll, I'll tell you a story about making fun of an Iowa fan. I'll make fun of some Iowa fans here. I'll make fun of an Iowa fan here because I don't want to make that, like I'm just stacking on top of Iowa State here. Like they already lost the game. I don't want to keep stacking on top and going like, I'm making fun of this and this and this and this and this. We'll go over an Iowa story here. And this happened on Saturday at the game. Not necessarily, I guess, at the game. It happened during the tailgate. So we left our area. So we were by Hilton Coliseum and Brady's dad, one of his friends was at the game and he was over in the grass lots. So we made our way over. It was a little bit like right across the street from uh, Jack Trice Stadium. So we go over there. We're hanging out there. We eat lunch there. We're watching the Colorado-Nebraska game. And then we go up. We finally leave. We're like, hey, we're going to stop by our, by our tailgate, drop some stuff off, and then we're going to go into the game. So we're walking back from the tailgate, from his dad's friend's tailgate, back to our tailgate. And we're on the main road. We're, there's no sidewalk there, but we're on the main road pretty much, walking to the light to get across the street. And all of a sudden, we see, you know, some Iowa fans there. We see some Iowa fans there. They're just chirping. They're just sitting there talking to each other. They'll chirp every once in a while. They go, hey, let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks. They hit one of those every once in a while. And then Brady <laughs> hits, him, hits him with, don't, and he's being 100% ironic the entire time. It's funny when you interact with people that don't know you and you don't know them because you don't know how they're necessarily going to react to when you're blatantly trying to make a joke. And they don't realize that you're trying to make a joke. So then to them, you come off as an asshole. And to them, or to us, they come off as assholes because they sound st- they sound very stupid when, they're, when they respond to it. So Brady goes, and in this voice, it's very, this voice. I'm not going to do it. I, got, I don't know if I can do it exactly right. But somewhere similar to this voice, like, don't, geez, don't Iowa fans realize that they're in the wrong city? Don't they? Don't, they said something about... Oh, what'd they say? It was something about being not, not like this is a side. I don't remember what exactly the, the fans were saying, but he hits them with, he turns to me and Carly and he goes, Hey, don't they, don't, don't they realize that the Hawkeyes are actually in Iowa city and they're not in Ames or like, are don't they realize they're in the wrong city right now? And this guy, he's like, actually there's Iowa fans in all parts of Iowa. And he goes, <laughs> thanks, dickhead. <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing on that last part. I don't remember exactly what Brady said. He was like, ah, oh, no shit. Or something along those lines. Like, it was such a, a weird exchange. Like, obviously, we're trying to be ironic there. But they just didn't understand the point of the joke, I guess. Like, you just go along and laugh with it. But again, that's where you experience different parts of different people. Like, you're... 
These people have no idea who we were apart from that five-second interaction right there. And we had no idea who they were apart from that five-second interaction there. And both of our opinions about each group is completely squ- <laughs> completely swayed because of that. And that's just what makes it... <laughs> it was just a... Actually, there's Iowa fans in all part of the state of Iowa. <laughs> it, was just a, it was just a very odd response. It was just a very odd response. Like, every time I get shit at a game or someone says something to me... Because I get it all the time. I, I'm a visiting fan, like, almost 90% of the games I go to. Because most of the games we go to are down in Kansas City. I've been to Arrowhead, like, nine times. Eight or nine times to watch the Bills play down there. I've been up to Minneapolis to watch the Bills-Vikings. I've been to Cincinnati. I've been to Dallas to go watch the Bills-Cowboys play. Like, I've been a away fan a lot. I've been to Jack Trice a few times. Again, five times, four times where a team I liked was playing. So, it was... It's, it's always fun being... I love being an away fan. I thrive being an away fan. So I'm used to getting shit, like, all the time. All the time used to getting shit. <laughs> so I would just start kind of laughing off. Because I got shit at this game. I'll get shit at every game. I didn't get trash thrown at me, which was a, which was a positive thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's, the, that's the Chiefs fans for you. But, yeah, overall, just a, just a fun... Fun experience, but we had to give a little story about. We had to we had to make fun of some other people as well, so we had, we had to go both ways on this one. But this is the only game. Like, do I actively root for Iowa State? Never. I would never actively root for Iowa State. I'll root for Iowa State players in the NFL, like Brock Purdy, Brees Hall. They never beat Iowa, so I really have no ill will towards them. So I, why would I have ill will towards Brock Purdy? They never beat Iowa. Arguably the greatest player in Iowa State history. Never beat Iowa, so I'm I'm cool with Brock. I'm cool with it. I want to have all the success in the world with the 49ers. Him and George Kittle wearing C's on their chest for a team that's won five Super Bowls. Like, that's crazy. That, that is crazy. Can we can we all acknowledge that real quick? Did either did anybody think George Kittle and Brock Purdy would be captains in the NFL? On a team that's a Super Bowl contender. Did anybody think that? George Kittle was a fifth-round draft pick. Brock Purdy was obviously Mr. Irrelevant. Both are captains. That's insane. That's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? So like, I want people to root for them in the NFL. College, you could go like, uh, uh, screw this dude, screw this. I don't, it doesn't bother me. I'm not gonna ever actually. I'm not gonna actually root against them. Like if they, if they're. I remember when I was a kid, when Iowa State again was ass, and like their their best season was six and six or seven and five. Like that was peak Iowa State football when I was growing up. But most of it was like three and nine, four and eight, some two and tens in there. But. The games against, like, Oklahoma State, where they had no chance in hell of winning, and they win. The game against Nebraska, where they had no chance in hell of winning, and they win. The games against, like, Nebraska and, and Jack Trice, where they almost won the game. That was a fun game to watch. The games against Oklahoma, where Kyle Kemp went down there and beat Oklahoma. Like, there's games like that where, like, oh, that's kind of cool. You're not going, like, yes! Go Cyclones! Yes! You're not doing that, but you're like, oh, that's, that's sweet. That's actually kind of sweet. And not like in a patronizing way. I don't want to make it sound like that. But it's like, dude, there's no reason in God's green earth. Like when Iowa plays like Penn State, I'm not going into the game with any expectations whatsoever. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think Iowa's offense can compete with Penn State's offense. But, and especially when you look at Penn State defensively. It's not really competing with their offense. Can they score against that defense? I don't know. But Iowa's defense, will they be able to get to Drew Alar? That's going to be the big question there. We'll have to wait and see. But... Fun game. Overall atmosphere is fun. A sold out stadium. Iowa State's intro sucks. I will say that. That's one thing I'm not like joking around about. That that intro's ass. That's one of the lamest intros I think I've ever seen. Ever. Like I've been to how many Iowa State games have I been to? I've been to four Iowa State games ever. One against Texas A&M, two against Iowa, and in Jack Trice. Because I've been to Iowa State, Iowa, and Kinnick. 
and then uh, UNI. I know I've been to three, two UNI games. So I've been to five games at Jack Trice. That intro is ass. <laughs> that is a terrible intro. Like it just like the song starts and then all of a sudden the players are on the field. There's like no real buildup to it. It, it kind of, it kind of is ass. I literally turned to Brady. I was like, dude, what was, what was that? What was that intro? Like I always got the whole back in black enter Sandman thing. And they've got the whole, I don't even remember what the song was. It happened so fast. I don't even remember what the song was, but Man, I do think Iowa and Iowa State going into the next week's games against Western Michigan and Ohio two MAC teams. Both the what the hell? Iowa is a twenty-eight and a half point favorite against Western Michigan. I'd be surprised if Iowa scored twenty-eight in this game, let alone be twenty-eight and a half point favorites. What? Who made the line for that? Florida State's less of a favorite against Boston College. Boston College and Florida and Western Michigan got to be around the same <laughs> around the same level, right? Twenty-eight and a half. That is insane. I guess they lost to Syracuse 48 to 7, but 28 and a half. When, Iowa didn't even beat Nevada by 28 last year. Nevada's worse than Western Michigan. They've been by 27. 27 nothing. Like 28 and a half? That is a ridiculous scoreline there. What is Iowa State's line against you? Is Iowa State has to be the favorite, right? They have to be. Three points? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Ohio is a much better team than Western Michigan. That goes without saying. I think Western Michigan, were they my pick to be the worst in the conference? I think it was either, it was either me or Brady. I don't, I don't remember which one it was. Me or Brady picked Western Michigan. One of us, I think, picked Western Michigan to be the worst. No, Kent State and Akron. I had Kent State, he had Akron. But I, we mentioned it. But like, Ohio was my prediction to win. So it's not even close on which MAC team's better here. So three points for Iowa State, I think that's fair. And again, you're playing the best quarterback you played up to this point. Curtis Work is probably the best quarterback Iowa State's played. I put like if I'm being honest, I know he didn't play great week one. I put Theo Day over McNamara. I would say McNamara is the third best quarterback Iowa State's played to this point. That's what honest opinion. I think McNamara is number three behind Theo Day and Curtis Work. I know that's insane to think about when you like deep it. Like, hey, this is a guy that's been a Big Ten championship, college football player, all that stuff. I I'd say he's the third best quarterback they played this year. And we'll see how that continues the rest of the season because they don't really play like a lot of great quarterbacks. I mean, you play Alan Bowman. Is Alan Bowman still the starter? I, I don't. I guess I didn't see anything from Oklahoma State this past weekend. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, he's better than Matt. Alan Bowman's not better than McNamara. Obviously, we saw them both at Michigan together. McNamara was above Alan Bowman, so we know Alan Bowman. <laughs> McNamara's better than Bowman. If he starts, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, Gabriel's better. TCU, Chandler Morris, I'd probably say Morris is better. I'd probably edge towards Morris. If I did, like, if you were to twist my arm, Emory Jones, I think Emory Jones can be, but he's not consistent enough to really say definitively. I think he can be. He's way more athletic than Matt Nemera. He's bigger than Matt Nemera. I don't know. That one's a toss because Emory Jones has the potential to be better than him, but he just. You know, we see it on Arizona State. We saw it in, part, in spurts at Florida. Like, he can be, but he's just not at this point. I don't know. Who's Cincinnati's quarterback? Oh, no. Well, that was what we were talking about. We were just talking about Emory Jones. Why did I say that? <laughs> Baylor, Blake Schappen, he's out for a couple weeks, but I'd say Matt is better than Schappen. Jalen Daniels, Jalen Daniels better. Keaton Slovis at BYU. Current Keaton Slovis, I'd say Matt is better. Texas Quinn Ewers is better than Kane Matt and then uh, Will Howard at Kansas State is better than McNamara. So, like, he's in the bottom half of quarterbacks Iowa State's played this year. 
because I again I put Theo so we put Theo Day, Curtis Wark, Dylan Gabriel, Chandler Morris, Jalen Daniels, Ewers, and Howard. So that's seven. And there's like toss-ups there. I, I didn't mention Emory Jones in there. It's toss-up. Blake Shappen's a toss-up. The only one I'm definitively sure he's better than is, is Alan Bowman. Because again, we saw them together at Michigan. We know he's better than him. So, yeah. I don't know. He's just a fine quarterback. He's a fine quarterback. But nothing nothing amazing. Nothing amazing. And in this offense, he's not going to put up astronomical numbers or anything. He had 314 yards this game. It's, it's a completely different level. Shooter Sanders had 500 in his first game. So, <laughs> it's a little... I know it's obviously a different level, but... Yeah. But, man. College football is so much fun. I was telling Brady and Carly when we were at the game. I was like, man, it's so good to be at a college football game again. It's so good to be at a college football game again. <laughs> Especially Iowa State. It's a game I hadn't been to. I went to Iowa State in 2009 when Stansy played there. And Iowa won 35-3. That was a fun game. <laughs> very, very fun game. That was the norm back then. <laughs> that was the, When Stansy was at Iowa, that was the norm. Just dominant. I think their aggregate score was like 300 to five. I don't, I don't remember the exact score line was, but I know that that was 35, three. I know that one, but I remember what all the score lines were, but you and I speaking of Theo day a little bit, they lost Weber state. Theo, Theo day had some bad interceptions in this game. Weber state took advantage of them. And yeah, Weber state's two and zero going to game against Utah. Very interesting game. That very interesting game that Utah versus Weber state, Utah should obviously win, but Hey, Weber state's a tough team. They're a tough, tough ass team. Then you got Duke versus Northwestern. Duke shouldn't really have a ton of problems in that game. Michigan State's got a new coach, so Washington really shouldn't have any issues there. She's North Carolina Central versus UCLA. What a fun game. Tennessee, Florida. That's a fun game. Bowling Green, Michigan's a night game. Disgusting. Good Lord. Texas, Wyoming's a night game. It was at Wyoming, you'd understand, but good Lord. Then we got Colorado, Colorado State. Number 19, Colorado. Shadur Sanders firmly... In the Heisman discussion. Now, that game against... Now, Caleb Williams is not playing this weekend. But that game against USC in, what is it, three weeks? Is it three weeks from now? Oh, two... Uh, it's on the 30th. September 30th. That will be a night game. It, TBD for time, it'll be a night game. They play Oregon next. We'll see what happens there. They should handle Colorado State. So, go in the Oregon game 3-0. Oregon, at Outson Stadium. That'll be tough. That's a 2-30 kickoff for us. It's a 12-30 there. But that'll be a tough game. Tough, tough game. But I think Shadur can handle that. I think Colorado himself can handle it. They're so much better than I thought they would be. They're so much better. Like, we knew. Again, we said this the entire offseason. Like, we know how much talent they have. But people forget. Like, it's the same thing with the Bears. It's kind of the same feeling I had with the Bears. It was like, man, this team could be really solid this year. Not, like, playoff team or anything, but solid. But, man, they were the number one overall pick. In, they did have the number one overall pick in the draft last year, didn't they? They did, didn't they? Yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of bad. That was kind of bad, wasn't it? So yeah, my hesitancies towards Colorado was not about their players. It was just about, I I guess yeah, about their players. But how many people they lost versus how many they brought in? Would they be able to flip the script? They've already doubled their season win total last year <laughs> with two wins. Dominated Nebraska. Boring game to start. Boring. It was zero zero forever. We saw that game walking around some tailgates. We watched that one a little bit, but. Nothing really happening there, but the demolition of TCU. And when I say demolition, when you go for a team that was one was one and eleven last year on the road against a team again that lost a ton of people, but a team that was in the college football playoff national broadcast for you. You're a big time under twenty point underdog. I think was the line. 
and you go in there and beat them and drop 45 on them, that's damn impressive. This Colorado State game, I expect them to have no difference there. Like, my expectation for Colorado this year was like 6-6. Six and six. That was my expectation levels this year. Tough schedule. Tough schedule, but they got some winnable games this year. Like, Nebraska, we said they would win. They said Colorado State was a game they could win. Arizona State, Stanford, Arizona. It was 5-7. Oh, it was 5-7. and Because Washington State, Utah, Oregon State, UCLA, USC, and uh, Oregon and TCU were all in there, too. So, 5-7 and seven was about what I expected from, from Colorado, which they could still go. They can still go. I remember Michigan one year. They started the season, I think, four and zero, four and one, with Tate Forcier at quarterback, and they ended up finishing five and seven. Zero, it was two thousand nine. So that, it happened before. Kansas had a great start to the season last year, kind of teetered off towards the end. Didn't finish five and seven, but still teetered off a little bit towards the end. So it, it can happen. But the way they're playing, the offense they run, it's just so much fun. It's so much fun. And like for our quarterback rankings, again, we released this on Saturday. Because I those NFL videos, they just took so freaking long to get done. Like, the filming of them, the editing of it, everything just took so long to get done. So I didn't really have a lot of time to get... Because I had to get my notes down for everything to make sure I covered every single topic for each team. About players they had and all that stuff. The schedules. I had to get everything down. Both videos took about an hour to film. Which took a lot longer than I was expecting to. My original thought process was to have both of them done at the same time. Like, do them both in one video. Look at yeah, how it happened. No, that, that was never happening. And after that first one, I was like, yeah, we're doing the other one later. And I was going to film the other one the day, because I was going to try and do what we did the week before we did the Iowa State UNI previews. I was going to try to do three days in a row. That was my goal. But when I tried to film the, the NFC preview, my eyes were so bloodshot because my allergies were kicking my ass. I was like, good, I cannot record. I cannot record a video right now. There's no way. My allergies were killing me. I looked in the camera. I saw bloodshot in my eyes. Where I was like, oh, we're not doing this. So I had to wait another day to get it done then. So it was just, it was a long process. We got the draft process, the draft expert mock draft, or mock draft, quarterback rankings out at like 8 o'clock. So we had a podcast come out on Saturday morning with Brady and I. And then we had the mock draft, or geez, I did it again. Quarterback rankings right after that. Podcast we posted at like 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, somewhere around there. Draft rankings came out on like eight. Long, long. I mean, these blog posts are a long process. So it's not, I had to get, I wanted to make sure I got everything done, but I thought it turned out well. I liked how it turned out. And I posted the the week one graphic because what we usually do for that, at least recently, is that we have the blog post, do the blog post, post that and all that stuff. We talk about it on the show. And then the next show we post, we post the graphic. That's the next, that's the next step. So you get like an inter- kind of like two different chances to get people viewing it. Two different posts for people to view it. So I posted my graphic today because I forgot to post it yesterday. So I it looked a little odd. Like week one quarterback prospect rankings right after week two. So it's going to look completely different than what we saw in week one because there were some performances in week two that were very, very good. Like Shadur Sanders balled out against Nebraska. Like there was a ton of really solid performances this week. So it's hard to like... Man, I gotta post it though. So if you haven't, go to theloganbyvanshow.com, go in our blog section, or scroll down on the main page. It'll be right there for you as well. But man, these quarterbacks are this is a good year for quarterbacks, man. That week one was so hard to grade everybody. It was so hard because everybody played good for the most part. Like even Riley Leonard, like that game against Clemson. That was a game where you're looking at a team that in Duke that is way outgunned against Clemson. 
Like, Clemson, for all the struggles they have, like the question marks offensively with Cade Klubnick coming in at quarterback, like those question marks there, they're still going to be solid defensively. So with Riley Leonard, week one, going into that game, there was weird expectations going into that game. Like, I said Duke would cover. I wasn't sure if Duke would win, but Duke covered by a lot and ended up winning the game by 21 points. Jumped in the top 25 right after that. But Riley Leonard statistically did not put forth the best throwing performance. He didn't. Like, if you look at his numbers in that game against Clemson, he went 17 of 33, 175, no touchdowns, no picks. No picks is nice. No picks is very nice. But 17 for 33. And there's some drops mixed in. There was a quite, well, I guess there was quite a few drops there, but he missed some throws as well. He missed quite a bit of throws, and they're almost a 50% completion percentage, which is not great. And I'm not, I don't want to look at it just as the completion percentage. You got to go watch the game and see what the drops and like the what the incompletions actually were. If they were overthrown, they were underthrown, they were just missed, or if they were dropped, whatever. Because that's what completion percentage doesn't show you. Because you can have an incomplete pass, it's still a perfect throw. Still a perfect throw, but it's, if it's incomplete, it's incomplete. And they'll go against your stat sheet. Because all that matters is the receiver caught it. If you're not watching the game, you have no idea where the ball was placed or where it was caught. You just know, dude threw it, dude, dude throw it, dude caught it. That's what you all you know. But Riley Leonard, like you, it's it was weird because you look at the other quarterbacks around him. So you had Caleb Williams, he played back-to-back weeks. He had week zero and week one. You played San Jose State and Nevada. Great games in both of them. Nine touchdowns, no picks in those two games combined. Then he had uh, 597 yards in there as well. And then you got Drake May against South Carolina. Two not-so-great interceptions, but overall, 24-32, 269, two touchdowns, also had 25 rushing yards and a win against a South Carolina team that had a very good season, end of the season last year, that could have carried momentum into this season. Granted, their offensive line just completely decided to stay back last year because they might as well have just not gone in there. Spencer Rattler got sacked nine times. We'll get to him in a little bit. And then you got J.J. McCarthy. So South Carolina's a tough team, but Drake, the main thing I wanted to talk about was Caleb Williams played in San Jose State, Nevada. J.J. McCarthy played East Carolina. So how do you look at these two quarterbacks, J.J. McCarthy and Riley Leonard? Clemson, playing Clemson at Duke or playing Eastern Carolina while you play for, for Michigan? It's not really comparable to what we're looking at here. Duke has nowhere near the talent Michigan does. Nowhere near the running game, which makes McCarthy's life 100 times easier just with the fact there's a decent running game and a very good off the line. But McCarthy in this game, 26 of 30, 283 touchdowns, no picks. Like, how do you not just say, hey, that was a better game? You're looking at just from a statistical output. That is a much better game than 17 of 33, 175, no touchdowns. That's a much better game. Granted, Riley Leonard had 98 yards on the ground as well. So that's where it gets a little bit interesting to see how that looks out there. Now, about 50 of those were on one carry. It was a very good run. Very good run. Tiptoed the sideline. Very, showed very good awareness knowing where the sideline was. But ultimately, we put McCarthy up. And it was re- it was really hard to decide on where to put McCarthy or if we wanted McCarthy to be at number three or number four. So we were kind of just flipping back and forth between the two. But McCarthy looked very good. And like, if we're just talking about strictly from a throwing standpoint, McCarthy looked better than Leonard. But again, that's the difficult part of this scouting thing because you're looking at it while he played Clemson and then J.J. McCarthy played freaking East Carolina. They're not really comparable at all. Like, if you're looking at what J.J. McCarthy has at his disposal versus what Riley Leonard has versus a way better team than the team J.J. McCarthy's playing against, that's where it gets... We're like, ah, what the hell do we do here? And then you got Quinn Ewers against Rice. 
It did not have the greatest game of all time against Rice. He didn't. That's a fact. He got better as the game went on, but just really inconsistent. We'll talk about what happened against his game against Bama on Friday when we'll do the podcast discussing uh, the quarterback rankings. We'll have the video out as well. But got three touchdowns in the game. Got a rushing touchdown as well. Using his feet a lot more, which I like. He looked pretty like solid enough in that game. Started slow again, but picked it up. Looked good as the game went on. Number six, Shadura Sanders. So this was the difficult part. Where the hell do you put Shadur Sanders? Where do you put Shadur Sanders? After that game against TCU, where the hell do you put him at? That was my big conundrum going into this week, was where the hell does Shadur Sanders go? Because he threw 510 yards, four touchdowns in this game. And it wasn't just the statistical output that he had. He made some great throws. Now we're talking about throws that were incomplete, that were perfect throws. He had a ball thrown from the end zone all the way to, I think, the 50 on a dot the receiver dropped. Just flat out dropped it. It was a perfect throw. Shadur Sanders has got an amazing arm. Like, he's a very, very good quarterback. And again, there's some people out there that are like, hey, this dude's only playing here because of his dad. No, Shadur Sanders was a four-star athlete at a high school, got some massive recruiting offers, chose to go to Jackson State with his dad, balled out there, had a great career at Jackson State before coming to Colorado. It was just, man, what is Colorado going to be this year? Because, like, from a talent standpoint, you want to put Shadur Sanders in, but it's like, I don't know how this team's going to be. So I'm very nervous. I'm very hesitant. But, man, 510 passing yards against TCU on the road. First game at your new school. It's hard not to go, man, this dude's top six at least. Because I, I was like, man, you know, I could rearrange this. I might rearrange it. I know I made the post today. <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna we might have to rearrange this. Cause there's some provide <laughs> Man. It's always tough. This stuff is difficult. This stuff's hard to do. I'm not I I don't want you to think that this is easy stuff. I I put so much work into this. But uh Michael Penix at seven. He had a very good game. Easy game. But that game again was a slow start against Boise State. But they put him away later in the game. He had some great throws in that game as well. But which is the question mark is what his arm would look like. But he he looked all the same they did last year. Four or five, four fifty yards, five touchdowns in the game as well. Great, great stuff. Uh Joe Milton, eight, dropped him down a couple spots. He looked good. He had a beautiful ball. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful deep ball. You remember Christian Watson in that game against the Vikings last year, week one? That's what that throw looked like, where it basically hit dude in the face. Like, looking up at the sky, and it hit him in the face, and he dropped it. Like, it was a beautiful throw from Milton, who showed off his arm. He's got an insane deep ball. We already knew he had an insane deep ball. We knew that. But, good Lord. The running ability was there as well. He had the quarterback sneak for one of the touchdowns. He had some nice runs throughout the game as well, but they dominated Virginia. Like, obviously, they're going to dominate Virginia, but... It's hard not to look at what Michael Penix did and look at what Shadur Sanders did and go, yeah, they have to jump him. <laughs> and I felt really bad. Bo Nix all the way down at nine. He just didn't need to do anything against freaking Portland State. They won 81-7. He didn't need to do anything. He played one drive in the second half, and that was it. He literally did – he registered no carries in this game. He didn't need to do anything. It was a dominating win. Three touchdowns in the game. Yeah, not nothing to really talk about there. Jordan Travis moved him down one spot because Shadur Sanders entered the top ten. Moved down one spot to 10A, because I still had to keep Spencer Rattler there. He got sacked nine times, still managed to get 353 yards. He looked really good, Spencer Rattler, despite getting hit every single time he dropped back. But Jordan Travis was, he had some moments that were really impressive. 
the interception was really bad. And then he had a play later where it should have been picked off where two LSU guys kind of ran into each other. But the ball, like Keon, Keon Coleman out wide was great. Uh, Johnny, oh, why am I completely blanking right now? Six foot seven wide receiver. I'm, I'm completely blanking right now. But his number one wide out had some great catches in the game as well. He had a great run play to get his one rushing touchdown in the game. Very dual threat. Didn't have the same success this past weekend against Southern Miss. But still, that week one performance was very solid. And he had to stay there at 10A, and then Spencer Rattler again, 10B. But the rest of them, we had Jaden Daniels down there, KJ Jefferson from Arkansas, Michael Pratt from Tulane, who didn't play against Ole Miss, which I didn't know until Saturday, Austin Reed from Western Kentucky, and then Cameron Ward, who had a great game this week as well, against Wisconsin. So, yeah, I think that's all we're going to talk about here today on this Friday, Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Again, you can check out the Logan Black, the draft expert week one quarterback prospect rankings on LoganBlackmanShow.com. But I would just wait till week two, because week two is coming out in a couple days. So make sure you just stay tuned for that as well. Make sure you subscribe to all different forms of social media for the Logan Blackman Show, because of the fact you'll see the links on our blogs and all that stuff on those different pages. So yeah, hope you enjoyed. If you didn't, I sincerely apologize. And I will see you all later. Peace.